0: Bible biogs in 30 minutes. Through the Bible, one character at a time. Author, pastor and Bible teacher Mike Beaumont is in conversation with David Taverner.
1: In this episode, we're looking at the life of Hosea, another prophet, but I think a minor prophet. Is that right, Mike?
0: Yes, sounds terrible too call the poor guy a minor prophet, doesn't it? Minor, M-I-N-O-R, R, R, not M-I-N-E-R, of course. Um, Minor, simply because smaller. The prophets that have preceded these 12 minor prophets at the end of the Old Testament tend to be much smaller than the big ones like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel, the four major prophets. Uh, And so we get 12 of these so-called minor, smaller uh, prophets uh, grouped together in our Bibles in the same way that they were traditionally in the Jewish Bibles. Um, sort of three sections, books that came from the period when Assyria was at the height of its power, like Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah. Then we get books when Assyria's power was declining, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, and then books from the ex- after the exile when Israel returned, Judah returned to its home, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. So there's a logic to how they are put there. But um, minor in size, not minor in message, definitely.
1: Right. Well, let's find out what the message is and and, and maybe just get a sense of who he was, who, who was Hosea, where was he um, geographically?
0: Well... Hosea um, was from the northern kingdom of Israel. Just a reminder again, we've said in previous episodes about how after King Solomon, the nation split into two, never to come back together again. Ten tribes in the north becoming now known as Israel, two in the south as Judah. And Hosea came from somewhere in that northern kingdom of Israel. And he too fits into that sort of really prosperous period that we've talked about in previous episodes of King Jeroboam II in the middle of the 8th century BC. So a time of comfort, ease, we're doing really well economically and politically, thank you very much, with all the laxness that that then was producing in the hearts of God's people towards him.
1: At the very start of the book then, what is his personal circumstance?
0: Well, the first three chapters of Hosea do start, as you say, with his personal circumstances. And it's a tragic story. In chapter one, we find that God tells him to go and marry a wife, but warns him that this wife is going to turn out to be unfaithful. I don't know about you, but you know, if I felt God say to me, this is a woman to marry, oh, by the way, she'll be unfaithful. I, I'd probably think, are you sure, Lord? You know, couldn't I get someone else? But God was going to actually use Hosea's very life as a prophetic message. So this would be quite important. So he marries this lady called Goma, and Goma gives him three children.
1: You say lady. I mean, who, who was she?
0: We don't really know anything about her other than what she will end up doing. So Gomi gives him three children and he's told to give them prophetic names. Again, names that will speak into their situation. So his firstborn is a son and he's told to call him Jezreel which means, well, it sounds odd in in English, but it can mean either he scatters or he plants. So it's the picture of of someone walking through a field scattering. But are they scattering to throw away or are they scattering like seed Mm -hmm. to plant? Now, Jezreel was the name of a place where King Jehu had come to power, but amidst great bloodshed. And what's going to happen is that that king's descendants would now be judged and they would be bloodshed at that very same place. God is going to scatter his people, this child prophesies. The second is a daughter, and she's called lo Ruhama. That's a <laughs> snappy name, isn't it, there? It's meaning not loved. Oh, my goodness. Goodness me. I'm thinking, if God told me to call my daughter not loved, that'd be really, really tough. And it's a reflection, I think, of how Hosea must have been so convinced he'd heard God to to call his daughter this. And he was to call her this because she was a prophetic picture of the change in relationship between God and his people. Israel was a people who had been precious and loved by God But now, because of the way that Israel had so drifted from God and his ways, Israel was not loved anymore, and there would be no more compassion for them.
1: And particularly tough on her, I mean, growing up with that name, not loved. So that relationship between her and her father, her and her mother, she wasn't loved.
0: Can you imagine her friends outside, what they might have done with that name? Really, really tough. But again, all I can think is this must have been because Hosea was so clear, so convinced about what God had said, and perhaps making personal family sacrifice there for the, the bigger sake. So he's got a son called Jezreel, God scatters, a daughter called Lo Ruhama, not loved. And then he has a third child through Goma, uh, a son, and he calls him Lo Ami meaning not my people. And again, this is a living prophetic picture of how Israel now was no longer God's people. So things seem to start out pretty well. He marries this lady. Clearly they're married long enough for them to have three children who are given these prophetic names. But then as we get to Hosea chapter two, we discover that Goma has done exactly what God had said she would do. She's left him. She's been faithless. And it seems not with just one man, but she seems to have been sleeping around with a whole bunch of other people. Some people actually think she may have been a prostitute. And certainly she started behaving in that way. And there's one point where God actually says to her, tell her to remove the prostitute's makeup for her face. So whether she was a prostitute or whether she was such a loose living woman, she was no better than a prostitute.
1: And this is the woman that God had told Hosea to marry.
0: Exactly. Now, of course, when God had said to him, marry this woman, but by the way, she's going to be faithless. That wasn't like a curse. That wasn't like that's what had to happen. It was God seeing ahead to what would happen. And because of the choices that Gomer made, what God saw happening was, of course, exactly what did happen.
1: And this is a picture, you say, of the relationship between the
0: people of God and, and God himself. Yes, and that's the whole message of Hosea. He's saying, look, God took Israel as his own people, as a wife. Actually, this picture of marriage and God being the husband and his people being a wife is one of the most common images of God's relationship with Israel in the whole of the Old Testament, because it's a picture of love and commitment and intimacy and warmth. And Israel had been just like Gomer. God had given everything he could to his people And yet they turned from him again and again. They turned to other gods, to other idols, to other ways of living. And they had been unfaithful. So this marriage relationship is a picture of how unfaithful Israel had been. But here's the amazing thing. Because by the time we get to chapter three of Hosea, God is telling Hosea, to take his wife back again. Go and love your wife again, even though she commits adultery with another lover, is how chapter three begins. Now, David, put yourself in that situation mm. where you've loved your wife, you've cared for her, you've given her everything possible. She's been unfaithful, not just once, as a slip, a stupid mistake. But again and again and again and again. And God says to you, David, I know you could get divorced at this point, but I'm asking you not to. I'm asking you to take her back as a good husband because that's what I want my people to see I am doing with them. Mm. They have been as faithless as a wayward man or woman Faithless as a prostitute, and yet, and yet, and yet, even at this point, I, their God, do want to be faithful to them. I want to call them back.
1: So, Hosea was literally living out the message that the people needed to hear. Absolutely,
0: and it it cost him, you know, very often, um, preaching a message is costly. Living out a message is costly. It still is for people today. Somehow, sometimes to to live out the fact that you are different or to demonstrate what God wants is costly. The Bible's full of stories of people who had to pay the cost of declaring the message. And for Hazia, the cost was really, really personal. This This was not something out there that he could leave this was something close to his heart a woman he loved children he loved and through this this is God acting out the message by the way this is not God callously using Hosea and Gomer this is not a God saying I'll break up a marriage just to show this probably would have happened anyway God foresees what was going to happen and yet he takes this and says let this be a living picture of what my people are doing towards me
1: so the question is then <laughs> did they get
0: the message well they don't seem to because from chapter 4 of hosea onwards what we get is god sort of presenting his case uh against israel it, it's almost like a like they're in a law court. And chapter four begins, hear the word of the Lord, people of Israel. The Lord has brought charges against you. So he's imagining God bringing Israel into the law court, now bringing the charges. And he goes on to say, there is no faithfulness, no kindness, no knowledge of God in your land. Now, remember, this was the land of those who were supposed to call themselves the people of God and yet the charge is no faithfulness, no kindness, no knowledge of God in your land. It's a bit like walking into a church today and looking at the people there and someone declaring there is no true knowledge of God in this church. Well, I think we might all get a bit upset, wouldn't we, if <laughs> uh, it happened in my church. And
1: yeah. in remember that he was a northerner speaking to his own people. So it wasn't like, Amos, where he was from the south, he was he was you know one of them, and they still weren't getting it.
0: They still weren't getting it, and his actual his language gets stronger and stronger to them. Uh, at one point, he goes on to say in chapter five, "You're a prostitute through and through." And that's strong language, isn't it? That's a message to the people. That's a message to God's people. Now, why does he use this illustration of a prostitute? well, what does a prostitute give herself to more than one person in faithful, loving commitment? And that's what Israel had been called to do way back, going back to when Israel had reached Mount Sinai. In Exodus chapter 19, God had said to them, you are, will be for me from this point on a holy nation, a royal priesthood, a chosen people. And at that point, they become his, it's almost as if, God has taken them as his precious bride and people at that point. And yet, now this precious bride has so shared her love around with everything and everybody that through Amos, God declares over them, you're a prostitute. And again, that was a particularly appropriate illustration in the north where the problem right from the beginning had continually been the attraction of Baal worship and all that had come out of that. These religions that were highly sexualized, that had temple prostitutes, and so the picture of Israel living as a prostitute was real. They were giving themselves to these other religions and simply not giving themselves to the one true living God.
1: I want to come back to this point you were making about the nature of God's relationship with his people. It seems from what you're saying as if God was trying to say, despite your faithlessness, I'm completely committed to you.
0: Absolutely. And do you know, this is one of the things that we see again and again in the Bible, isn't it? That even if you are faithless, I will remain faithful is a verse in Timothy and God longed to be faithful that's the whole message of Hosea but the message is also you know the point does come when if we keep resisting God keep resisting God keep resisting God eventually the point comes where where God has to say well okay you know I'm not going to force this on you go your own way and of course that would happen for this northern nation of Israel before very long Assyria would come, would destroy them, would kill many, would take many into exile, and they wouldn't come back again. But that wasn't God's heart. All the way through Hosea, the appeal is to is is to come back to God while there is still
1: time. And an exclusive relationship God seems to want with his people, you know, a permanent one as well.
0: Absolutely. And that's the whole point of the picture of him seeing Israel as his bride or in the New Testament, Jesus seeing the church as his bride. It's a picture of exclusivity that God is wanting. And yet these people were sharing themselves around um, with others. There's a passage in, in chapter 11. It says, when Israel was a child, I loved him. Out of Egypt I called my son. But the more I called, the further they went from me. They sacrificed, here it is, to the bales. There are the bales. They burnt incense. So I called them out of Egypt to have this exclusive relationship. And yet they're constantly going off in other directions. And still today in the New Testament, we find that we as Christians are called to an exclusive relationship with God. The prophet Elijah had actually challenged God's people earlier in their history. How long will you go on limping between two opinions? And he's using the picture there of they wanted to serve the living God, but they also wanted to serve the Baals. And he saw that as limping through life. And still today, you know, if if our hearts are. At one level given to Jesus, but another level given to something else. And let's face it, for us today, it's not going to be to a wooden idol or to a Baal. But there are so many things out there vying for our affection, vying for us to give ourselves to. And when we do that, we're we're limping along, as Elijah put it. And we're not being utterly faithful to God, as Hosea calls for in this book.
1: Are you also saying that... God's love is demanding.
0: Wow, that's that's quite a strong word, isn't it? But you know what? I think it's probably a good word. But of course, we have to understand what we mean by demanding. If a husband and wife have a really good relationship with one another, it's based on giving. Uh, I always think of the passage in Ephesians where Paul says, husbands, love your wives. Wow, that challenges me again and again as a married man. But yes, true love is also demanding, not in the sense that I demand from you and manipulate you and get what I want out of this. But if you truly love me as I love you, if you were my partner, then yes, there, there is a there is a demand, but it's it's the demand, the winning demand of love, not the demand of an oligarch, of someone who manipulates, of the bullying husband who demands his wife. It's the demand of of love. And love at its heart gives. And God at his heart is a God who gives. But in that giving, he's also demanding from us a love that also responds and gives. And this whole book of Hosea is shot through with this passion of God for his people. If you read through Hosea, it's not the easiest of Old Testament prophets to read. I read through it recently, actually. And there are bits of it where, if I'm really honest, it can feel a bit heavy going because there is so much where God brings accusation against his people. But even that accusation is in this context of he brings these accusations because he loves them mm. and he's calling them to live a better way because he, he knows that in living that better way, they will know so much more of his love and that will overflow to one another. Mm. They've, they've, they're, they're missing so much. And you've alluded, by the way, to
1: the picture in the New Testament of uh the Bride of Christ, the Church, and that relationship. Just just explain how that's helpful to get to understand.
0: Yes, this is uh, a common picture, again, picked up from the Old Testament. Remember I said that marriage is one of probably the most popular images of relationship between God and his people. And so when we get to the New Testament, the New Testament writers, steeped in their Old Testament background, pick up, that image. And whereas Israel had so often been called God's bride, now he unashamedly takes that and applies that to the church and sees us as his bride, one for whom Christ gave himself and laid himself down. Again, so the model is, it's a model of love, that, that gives, that, that doesn't hold back, and that calls us in return to give back to him, uh, and a model of this exclusive relationship uh, that you just mentioned. Ephesians chapter 5 is one of the places where Paul unpacks that. And yeah, it's that passage that has that tricky bit for us these days, wives submit to your husbands. But before he said that, he said, Husbands, love your wife. If a husband isn't doing that, hag and the second follow. But he goes on then to say, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy. It's, it's, it's a giving relationship, washing her through the water by the word to present her to himself as a radiant church without spot or blemish. Here is Christ. The groom giving himself everything that he has giving himself for the church. But also there's the appeal for the church to present herself radiant without spot or blemish. So it's a picture of love, intimacy, exclusivity and all the other things that go with marriage, fun, sometimes hard work. Sometimes sticking at it, and let's face it, sometimes our Christian life is fun and joyous, and sometimes we just have to stick at it. But we do so because we know we have one who is a a husband to us, and we are called to be his bride. And that's the constant message of Hosea. Come on, people, live as though you were truly God's bride.
1: So there's a, a commitment coming through here, a message of commitment, and 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 also it relates to, to the vows that are said and promised in a marriage ceremony.
0: Yes, it is, isn't it? I, I mean, marriage is culturally becoming less popular. It's interesting that people in our Western culture today settle simply for uh, living with one another, and many do so for many years. But the bit that that miss out is that vows before God to live together, you know, in good times and in bad times, and in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish till God do us part. And Hosea is really calling people back to that kind of fair. They're saying, come on, remember, remember, as it were, your marriage vows at Mount Sinai. Remember when God took you and said, you will be for me a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. Remember those vows and you responded when you said yes to the covenant. So he's calling them back to those vows. You know, perhaps this is just a a point for us to be able to say today, Christians in their marriages aren't exempt from pressures any more than anyone else today. Could well be that some of our listeners listening today are in a situation where they're just feeling the marriage is tough going at the moment. I just encourage you to go back and remember those vows that you made in your wedding service, vows to stick it out with one another. And you know, if we keep that as central, then everything else follows. Uh, I've had my struggles in my marriage at time, and my wife will probably tell you she's had even more. <laughs> but you know what? Whenever I've hit hard points, the thing I've always done is go back to two things. One is Paul's teaching, husbands, love your wife. And the other is the marriage vow I took. And if you accept, I can't get out of this, I'm stuck with it, then you have to make it work. And it's only when you think, well, it's only a contract, I can break it if I like What's the point of working at something that you can get out of so easily? So, yeah, for any listeners today who might be struggling with marriage, listen, husbands, love your wife. Wife, love your husband. Both of you, remember your marriage vows, recommit to it. And as you do, invite God in to come and help you work through this time. And again, that's what Hosea is doing. He's calling people back to the marriage vows. And even though Israel has been like Gomer and been so unfaithless, he's saying, God is still here. God is still waiting for you to return. There is still a way home.
1: Mm. So Hosea and Gomer were working out this relationship in front of the people. And that was like a, a visual demonstration of the people's relationship with God. How does the book of Hosea finish then? How. Does it all turn out in the end?
0: Well, in chapter 14, having denounced Israel for its many sins, there is this appeal to God's people. Uh, Chapter 14 begins, Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God, for your sins have brought you down. Bring your confessions and return to the Lord. Say to him, forgive all our sins and graciously receive us so that we may offer you our praises. Assyria cannot save us, nor can our war horses. Now, a little bit of history. At this point, the kings were hoping that Assyria might come and help them against some of their other enemies, like Aram, Syria. And, of course, that was stupid because Assyria were the very people who were going to take them over. So they were still looking to human resources But God says, you know, if you come back to me, if you repent, I'll just read a few verses here from chapter 14. Then I will heal you of your faithlessness. My love will know no bounds, for my anger will be gone forever. And I will be to Israel like a refreshing dew from heaven. Israel will blossom like the lily and send roots Deep into the soil. And he goes on to say how it will become this beautiful plant that will grow. And then ends with this appeal Israel, stay away from idols. I am the one who answers your prayers and care for you. He's actually dismissed idols earlier in the book as a stick of wood. Why make an idol? You're only talking to a stick of wood. And he has stay away from your idols. I am the one who answers your prayers and cares for you.
1: So there's a, a sense of, of promise and, and hope there at the end.
0: Absolutely a sense of promise and hope. And you, I imagine here God standing there with his arms wide open. I am the one who answers your prayers and cares for you. Come to me. Now, sadly, we know from history that they didn't. But the amazing thing about this book is that God stands there with open arms, waiting for his people to return. And still today, for anyone listening to our episode today, you may have been far from God. You may have been like Gomer. You may have wandered far away. But, you know, the message of the Bible today and the message from Hosea is that God is still standing here today saying, I'm the one who answers your prayers and who cares for you with arms open wide, And his invitation is still for us to return. No matter how bad we've been, no matter what we have done, the Bible makes clear God's arms are always open wide to welcome anyone who will say to him, Lord, I messed up. Please forgive me. I come to you. And the message of Hosea is that the faithful God will always be there waiting for you. David Tavener was in conversation with Mike Beaumont, who's written about the people of the Bible throughout the Christian Basics Bible. Catch their conversations anytime on the UCB player or with your favorite podcast provider. Just search for Bible Biogs in 30 minutes.